This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast and God bless. Let's pray. Lord, you are great and holy and glorious, and we love you, Father, and we serve you. And Lord, for the next few minutes, as we just spend some time in the Word of God, I just pray you would give us clarity. I pray you'd speak to us in a mighty and powerful way, Lord. I pray you would just open the eyes of our hearts to see the text, to see it clearly, Lord. May I rightly divide the Word of truth. And then, Lord, may, I, may we, we take what we've learned and apply it to our lives and leave here transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Can I say that now? Yes. yes. The stores have had trees up since Halloween. I haven't said Merry Christmas until that moment. It feels good, right? It feels good. Nothing says Merry Christmas like standing in line at Walmart at 9.30 on Thanksgiving night, right? Yes, yes, the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> I remember growing up as a kid and, and the anticipation, the excitement of Christmas, looking forward to the presents and thinking Christmas couldn't get here fast enough, right? You remember those days? And now I'm looking at my wife saying, didn't we just celebrate Christmas a few months ago? It seems so fast. I love Christmas and I, and I love celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I think there's something we miss every Christmas. I think there's something that we just kind of glaze over and we forget about. And it's almost as if when we think about the birth of Christ, we think about this one isolated incident. As if God just, just woke up one morning and said, yeah, I think today we'll be fine. Sure, why not? Today's as good as any. Go ahead. We'll send Christ to earth. Today's as good as any. It's almost as if it's just this random event. As if the birth of Jesus Christ is just this one thing that happened long ago and doesn't relate to anything else. But what we see as we study Scripture, what we see as we study especially the Old Testament, is it was so much more than a random event. It was the culmination of God's plan from eternity past to redeem His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the birth of Christ signifies and so we spent the last many weeks studying the Old Testament. We, we spent the last many weeks looking and delving into the prophecies of the Old Testament. And we've seen Christ in the Old Testament over and over and over and over again. And a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we, we studied Isaiah 9. And I said, this is going to be the last text in the Old Testament we'll study before we get to Christmas and move into the New Testament. But this very interesting thing happens at the end of the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament is written, and when the last book of the Old Testament is written, for 400 years there's nothing. No books, no additional prophecies. It's, it's as if God, for 400 years, at least in His spoken revelation in the Word of God, was silent. Until. Mm, a young couple, having very little understanding of how their lives would affect history, quietly walked into Bethlehem. And changed the world forever. The Bible doesn't tell us how long it took them to get to Bethlehem. The Bible doesn't tell us how long they were there. But we know at some point, Mary found herself holding not only her firstborn son, but the very baby that would be the Savior of the world. After thousands and thousands of years of anticipation, 
the time had come. God sent his son into the world. The storyteller enters the great story. And so we're going to examine a passage of Scripture this morning that's going to talk about that very moment. It's going to talk about that moment when God sent His Son to the earth. And we're going to see in this passage of Scripture all the things that God accomplished through Christ. So I want you to take your Bibles and open to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Let me give you a little bit of background on the book of Galatians as you're finding it in the New Testament. Written by Paul. Written sometime around 48 or 50 A.D., which is interesting because it means that after Jesus Christ was crucified... After he died, was buried, and rose on the third day and ascended into heaven, it's about 15 years later that Paul writes the book of Galatians. The Galatians is an interesting book. During this time in the first century, there were people known as Judaizers, and the Judaizers would come and try to convince people that you could be saved through Christ in addition to obeying the Jewish law and circumcision. So they would say, if you really want to be a Christian, you have to keep the commandments of Moses you have to be circumcised and you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. Savior. Paul teaches against the Judaizers in Galatians. And he says it's not about Jewish law, it's not about circumcision, it's simply about salvation only in Jesus Christ. And so we see a passage in Galatians 2, if you wanted to read that with me, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. It's kind of a summary of Paul's argument. Paul says, no, that remember, he'd been, he'd been teaching that it's not through the law, it's only through faith in Christ that you're saved. Galatians 2.16, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, see that? Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And so Paul makes this compelling argument in the chapters that lead up to Galatians 4, that we're only saved through Jesus Christ, we're not saved through the law. And so we arrive now at Galatians chapter 4, understanding a little bit of the background. And we're going to focus this morning on Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. So let's look together. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the time had fully come, now let's just, for one second, let's pause there and understand the significance of that statement. For thousands of years, people had been anticipating the Messiah. You understand that? For thousands of years they had been looking and hoping that God would send the one that would remove the curse of Genesis chapter 3 from the earth. For thousands of years, for centuries, people had looked and hoped and wondered when Messiah would come. And here we see now in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now there are three things that I want to talk about this morning from this passage of Scripture that Christ's birth will do for us. There are three things that Paul points out to us that are important in us understanding exactly what Christ accomplished in his life and ultimately in his death and resurrection. The first thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, number one, is that through Christ we have redemption. Through Christ we have redemption. Now I love the way Paul begins this phrase in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. When the time had fully come. I, I'm a kind of a history buff, and I majored in history, and I, I enjoy reading history, and so I started asking myself the question, why was the time right then? Why didn't God send His Son a thousand years before? Why didn't God send His Son a thousand years after? What was right about that moment? Now, we, we'll never fully understand the, the mind of God, and we'll never fully understand exactly why He chose this moment, but it's very interesting to me studying history 
how there were certain things in place historically that made this time right for Christ's birth. Things like the Pax Romana, the, the Peace of Rome from about 28 B.C., until about 180 A.D., about 200 years, there was relative peace in the Roman Empire. Very unheard of in history. And so people didn't have to worry about civil war. They didn't have to worry about fighting within the empire. People could freely travel without having to worry about fighting or conflict. The Roman roads had been constructed. They were very good roads. They allowed travel throughout the empire so people could go where they wanted to go. They were free to travel without conflict and they could easily navigate the road systems that the Romans had built. The Greek language was very popular during this time. It was common to a lot of that region. So when the writers of the New Testament wrote in, in Koine Greek, in common Greek, when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Galatia and sent it to the church, they could read it in the original text in Greek. And so there are, there are all these things that kind of tied in that historically fit to show us that it, it made sense, at least from a historical perspective, that God would send His Son at that time to redeem His people had a very interesting conversation this week with a young man as a 10th grader at a high school, a troop high school here in the Grange. And we had the, the opportunity to talk for just a few minutes. We didn't have a long time. And he asked me a very profound question. He doesn't usually attend our church. He attends occasionally, but not very often. He hadn't been here for the last many weeks and heard the sermon series I've been preaching on the Old Testament. But he asked me this question. He said, what happened to people in the Old Testament? I said, well, that's a... It's kind of a broad question. You know, zoom in a little bit for me. What do you mean by that? He said, well, before Jesus was born, how do people get to heaven? That's a very good question. Now, now the simple answer to that is still in faith in Christ. They looked ahead to who Christ was going to be in faith in God. It wasn't about the law. They couldn't redeem themselves through the law. It wasn't about their sacrifices. They couldn't work their way to heaven. It was about faith in Christ. But, but, but he asked me some more questions, and I started explaining to him kind of the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, right? Now, this was fresh on my mind, so I sat him down, and I, I opened up the Bible, and I showed him some passages of Scripture. We talked about Exodus 12 and the Passover and the blood. We talked about Psalm 22 and the picture of crucifixion. And when we got to Isaiah 53, I said, I want you to understand something now before I read this to you. I want you to understand that Isaiah 53 is written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so we're reading in Isaiah 53, he was crushed for our iniquities. You know the story, he was, the, the, the punishment that was, that was upon us, brought, upon him brought us peace. And I said, do, do you see Jesus in this? And I'm reading through this passage of Scripture, and he stops me kind of in the middle of reading this. He says, are you sure that Isaiah 53 is written 100 years, 700 years before Christ? I said, yeah, I'm sure, man. It's, it's clear. There's really no debate about the book of Isaiah. And he, he made this, this incredibly profound statement. He, he, you could see the wheels turning in his brain and he stopped for a minute and he said, well, then this proves that it's all true. This proves that Jesus really is who he says he was. And I said, yes. That's exactly what this does. I said, God had painted this picture, you see. God had painted this picture from the Old Testament. And he built this picture and he put these pieces together so the picture became clearer and clearer and clearer. And when the time had fully come, God sent His Son for us so that we may be redeemed. Now, when, when, you, when you look at it from that perspective and from the mind of a, of a, of a tenth grade student who doesn't quite understand Him, and it forces us to worship, doesn't it? To see Christ for who He is, to see God's magnificent plan from eternity past and all He's done and all He's accomplished and all He's given us before you ever considered salvation, He thought of a way to save you. You understand that? Before you ever understood who Christ was, there was already a plan in place. Before you ever even knew that you were a sinner, He had provided a way to be forgiven from your sins. 
He's, he's had this plan from eternity past, and when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. So if we're kind of going through the list of, of the last many weeks of things we've studied, Genesis chapter 3, fulfilled in Christ. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham and Isaac, fulfilled in Christ. Exodus chapter 12, fulfilled in Christ. Numbers 21, fulfilled in Christ. Psalm 22, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, on and on and on the list goes. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son. But look again at verse 4. I love what Paul does here. Paul's going to draw this picture for us that's going to become more and more clear. Bring that passage back up, if you would, on the screen for me. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, two things right here, born of a woman and then born under the law. Now, it's interesting because we've studied over the last many weeks how, how we've seen in the New Testament, we've, we've drawn these connection points from the New Testament, remember, back to the Old Testament. And we've connected things that Christ said or things that were said about Christ back to the reference in the Old Testament. We've, we've, we've drawn all these parallels. And it's interesting to me because I think Paul is drawing a connecting point for us here back to Genesis chapter 3. Paul speaks of the woman and Paul speaks of the law. Now, let me just remind you of Genesis 3.15 very quickly. This was one of the first sermons I preached weeks and weeks ago. Genesis 3.15 says this, this is, this is the, the, the curse upon Adam and Eve and upon Satan. God says, I will put enmity between you, that's Satan and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We said that was the first picture of the gospel, remember? But what Genesis chapter 3 shows us is there's going to be a seed of the woman and there's a curse. Those are the two main ideas in Genesis chapter 3 right there. The seed of the woman and a curse. So when Paul refers to Christ being born of a woman, it's a reference back to Genesis chapter 3. Now Galatians 3.16, just a few verses before where we are in Galatians 4, says this. I want you to listen. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. There's that word there. The scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. You see that? Now, now Christ could have come in a number of ways, right? He could, he could have come on, on clouds of angels singing. He could have come with great celebration and fanfare, with great feasts and, and, and ceremony and festivals. But instead, he chose to come in a humble stable, in a humble city, in a quiet place, born of a woman. You see that? It's the seed. It's the picture of Genesis chapter 3. But he also says that he's born under the law. Galatians 3.13, again, just a few verses before where we are, says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So there's this connection between the law and the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. See, see, the law proved to the children of Israel that they couldn't be saved. They couldn't do enough good things to work their way to heaven. And so even in the law, even in their disobedience to the law, it was a picture of their need for a Savior. So when Paul here talks about the fact that Christ is born of a woman, that Christ is born under the law, he's drawing this connecting point from us, from Galatians 4 all the way back to Genesis 3.15. It's a picture of that first gospel presentation. It's a picture of the seed of the woman and the curse that that seed will eventually defeat. Now I want to show you something else as we move through this and we understand exactly what Christ was going to do and what Christ was going to accomplish. Paul gives us a very clear reason that these things happen in verse 5. Verse 4 says he... Time before he come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And verse 5 says this, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now we say the word redeem or the word redemption, it's one of those churchy words that sometimes it's hard for us to understand, right? 
What does the word redeem? There's redemption and there's justification and there's sanctification. Well, there's confusion. Let me, let me just define the word redeem very clearly for you. To redeem means to buy back or to free from captivity. Now, in the context of the first century when Paul wrote this, slavery was a very important part of life. People understood slavery and people understood captivity. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But we see in this context when we're redeemed, we're freed. We're bought back. God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to buy us back, to free us from captivity. Now, if you were to go back into the Old Testament and read some passages in the Old Testament, there, there are several examples of redemption in the Old Testament. Isaiah 41, 14 says this, For I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer. God is the Redeemer. He said He's the Redeemer of the people of Israel. Isaiah 43, 1, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob... Who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. You see that? There's the picture again in the Old Testament. Isaiah 44, 6, this is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we, first of all, may be redeemed. But now look at verse 5 again. Let's look at the second part of that verse. God says He sent Christ to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. So number one, we've been redeemed. But number two, through Christ we are adopted. Through Christ we are adopted. Now let's remember this picture we find in the Bible over and over. Because of our sinfulness, we are separated from the things of God. We understand that. Because God is holy and He cannot look upon sin, we need a mediator. That's Christ. But I want to read you Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, and I think we have that as well. Because there's this interesting picture in Ephesians of kind of this before and after. It's a picture of before Christ when we were in slavery, and a picture after Christ when we had been adopted. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, For you, now I want you to notice the before and after right here. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. This is before, right? in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's the before. See, before Christ, we were objects of wrath. So Paul uses phrases like we were dead in transgressions. We followed the ways of the world. We had a spirit of disobedience. We were grafted in the sinful nature. We were objects of wrath. And then he does something interesting in verse 4. He shows us the after picture. But, look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. So this before picture of sinfulness and slavery and disobedience and living the life of the world. And there's this picture of after Christ, after we've been redeemed, and after we've been adopted, now we're alive in Christ. You see the picture? Now we're saved by grace. But here's the thing we need to understand about adoption as we think through our adoption in Christ. I think most of us miss that oftentimes. We think about who we are and as believers, and we think about adoption in the world, and we think about how important adoption is in the world, but we miss the fact that adoption is a picture of exactly what God has done for us. And so we wanted to spend some time this morning, this, this month is kind of National Adoption Month, and churches have celebrated at different times the adoption. 
and the importance of adoption. We've highlighted two of our stories in the video. We highlighted, I don't, know, I don't know if you got this or not, but we highlighted three other stories on this sheet of paper. You should get one. These are written accounts of other families in our church that have adopted and how God has blessed them and how God has used them in powerful ways. But, but I wanted to give you very quickly here just a couple of stats on adoption that I just thought were interesting. Is we make this parallel between adoption on the planet and how we adopt needy children and children that are orphans. And we make the parallel between what God has done for us and adopting us through Christ. Here's some facts about adoption. There are 147 million orphans worldwide. 147 million. Approximately 12 million children become orphans every year. Now, I did the math. That's roughly 32,000 per day. So every day, 32,000 children somewhere in the world are made an orphan. It's estimated that about a third of all Americans have considered adoption, but only 2% have actually done it. In the United States alone, about 800,000 children pass through the foster care system every year. There are approximately 500,000 in the foster care system currently. And every year, about 25,000 children age out or they get too old for the foster care system. Many of them leave with no support base and very few life skills. We did this video with Curtis and Katie, and they're in the 930 service. And, and Joe, I don't think Joe and Megan are in here. They're in the 930 service as well. But we, we talked to them for an hour each, and there's so much. We had a real hard time cramming that thing into five minutes because their stories are so compelling. But one of the stories Curtis told me that just kind of tugged at my heart is he said he went into this orphanage, and the orphanage was just full of cribs. Just baby upon baby upon baby, crib after crib after crib after crib. And he said... When they got ready to leave, he had kneeling, he was holding kneeling, and he said he was standing there looking across that orphanage and seeing all those cribs full of babies. And he said there was an orphanage full of babies, and there was one empty crib. And that was Neely's. And he said, you know, we, we can't change the world, Adam, but we can make a difference in one life. We can make a difference in one child's life. And I think about where Neely would have been had she stayed in that orphanage. And I think about Joe Fry, where he would have been had he stayed in an orphanage in El Salvador. And, and the difficulty that it would have been when he reached the age of 15 or 16 was literally put out on the streets. And he told me, he said, you know, when a, when a kid goes into the street at 15 or 16 in San Salvador, which is the main city in El Salvador, he says when a kid goes on the street at 15 or 16, usually they join a gang. And they're heavily involved in a, with no family, no support group. They're heavily involved in a gang by 17, by 18, 20. They're usually dead. That's a life. We think about what his parents accomplished for him and what they did for him and what Curtis and Katie have done for Neely. And it's parallel to what Christ has done for us. You understand that? You understand the, the beauty of what God has given us through adoption? And how he demonstrates his love for us? See, we, we see this parallel here. That just like the, the adopted parent, when, when, when God rescued us from sin and slavery, it's just like that child has been rescued by the parent. You understand that, right? When, when that parent shows unconditional love to that child, it's a picture of how God shows us unconditional love. When, when, when God saved us when we could not be saved, it's a, it's a picture when a family adopts a little child, when they save that child when that child couldn't be saved. And so we, we decided this morning to, to focus on adoption for, for two main reasons. Number one, there's a great need. That's obvious. 147 million orphans worldwide, there's an incredible need. Adoption is important. But the other reason we wanted to focus is because I wanted you to see, some of you probably never considered this, that adoption... When we adopt a child is a picture of God's work in our lives. But here's the beautiful thing about adoption. We're not adopted into the family of God because of our own merits. 
We're not adopted into the family of God because of anything that we've done. We're adopted into the family of God simply because of all that Christ has done for us. It's an incredible picture. So I wanted to give you five very quick things that you can do, ways you can actually help, very practical, tangible ways you can help as far as the, the worldwide epidemic of, of orphans and adoption is concerned. The first thing you can do above all things is pray. Don't underestimate the power of your prayer for the orphans and for the needy. Don't underestimate the power of God working through your prayers to change lives. The second thing you can do, very tangible, you can provide for the need of an orphanage or a mission group that supports an orphanage. There are all sorts of groups that support orphanages. There are all sorts of groups that support the needy. You can financially provide for one of those needs. Number three, you could become a foster parent. There are people within our church that are foster parents. If you go and read this story right here, the right-hand column, Bill and Teresa Bain, they have four children, all of them are adopted, and they started that process by being foster parents. There's, there's a line in here that I love. God showed us that Bill, that's the father, was to be a father to the fatherless. That's an incredible picture of, of who Christ is for us. But you could be a foster parent. You could actually bring these children into your home and, and try to help them understand who Christ is and think about the difference you could have on these children even in a short amount of time. You say, well, Adam, I've always kind of, kind of wanted to work at an orphanage. I've always kind of wanted to go and, and, and do something in an orphanage. Well, we've got something interesting and, and kind of exciting that I want to tell you this morning. Randy and I have been talking about this for several weeks, and we've solidified and made it official that next June, late June of 2013, we're going to be taking a mission trip to Zambia in Africa to work with an orphanage. There's an orphanage there. Randy's got a connection with the, 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 the missionaries that are there in that orphanage in Zambia, Wes and Laurie Wilcox. And we've arranged for them to be here at our church in a couple of weeks. They're going to tell us more about what that orphanage does, about how that orphanage ministers. But you'll have an opportunity next June as you want to pray through that and think through that. Maybe you'll go with us to Zambia and work in that orphanage. But the fifth thing you can do very tangible as you try to help orphan children around the world is you could adopt. You say, Adam, I, I just don't know. That, that's a difficult thing for me. I just don't think I can adopt. Aren't you glad Christ didn't say that about you? Oh, Adam, that's, just a, that's, a, that's, a life ch that's a life change for me. and I, I'm just not sure I can give that much. Aren't you glad Christ didn't say that about you? See, Jesus Christ decided he was going to give his life and he was going to come to earth and die on the cross for your sins so he could offer you adoption, right? So we could be made sons of God. How kind of, be careful, I'm stepping on my own toes here, but how hypocritical is it us for saying we can't give that much? I just can't give that much, Lord. Aren't you glad he didn't say the same thing about you? So we see this picture here in Galatians 4. We see that the time was right. We see that Paul references back to Genesis chapter 3. He's building upon this story. He talks about the importance of, of Christ's work and how we were redeemed through Christ. He says that we are adopted through Christ. And now look at verse 7. So, Paul says, in other words, because of who Christ is, because of the redemption, because of the adoption, so, because of all that, so... You are no longer a slave. And there's a progression here. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. So we've been redeemed, we've been adopted, and then thirdly, through Christ, we have freedom. Now this is a picture of slavery in the first century, and I, I mentioned that a few minutes ago, and how we're not very familiar with slavery in our context. None of us has ever lived under slavery. None of us has ever been a slave. We can understand the, the historical context of slavery. We can read about it and understand maybe sort of what it was like. But none of us have actually lived under slavery. But see, here's the kind of slavery we do understand today. 
In our culture, we understand the slavery of the bondage to addiction, don't we? We understand that slavery. I mean, we all know somebody or ourselves have struggled with bondage to alcohol, slavery to alcohol. We understand bondage to drugs or bondage to pornography. We understand what slavery in the world is like, don't we? We understand what it's like to live in, in slavery to those things. But Paul is very clear. Because the time was right, because God sent His Son, because He redeemed us, because He adopted us, because of those things, we now have freedom. We're no longer a slave, but a son. And then he kind of takes it a step farther. It's not just about being a slave and then a son. It's also about being an heir. You see that? We have all the rights and all the privileges that go with being called a son of God. I, I love reading through this in this passage because it reminds me of one of these rags-to-riches stories. You know, somebody was poor and didn't have anything, and, and something happened, and they worked their way out to success, right? And maybe they were a slave, and they were finally freed, and they became very successful. And I was reading about some rags-to-riches stories this week, and as incredible as some of those stories are, as compelling as they are, none of them compare to this story. None of them compare to what Christ did for you. It's neat to me how we, we, we read these stories, and something about those stories resonates, right? We, we understand those. We understand the rags-to-riches story. We, we, we think about that, and something kind of resonates in our minds, and I think it's because built into our soul, God has put this desire for us to move out of slavery to seek Him and to know Him more and, and ultimately to embrace Him and to be saved and to be called sons of God. He's given us this opportunity through Jesus Christ and it all began when the time was right and He sent His Son and He rescued us from our sinful condition. So we've seen this morning very clearly that the time was right. God sent His Son. He redeemed us. He adopted us. He freed us. And we're heirs with Christ. And so here's what I want to leave you with this morning. No matter where you've been, no matter where you are, no matter what baggage you have in your life, because of who Christ is, there is hope. You understand that? You can receive that freedom. You can receive that redemption. And you can be adopted into the family of God. So here's the question you have to ask yourselves this morning. Have you accepted that forgiveness and allowed Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for the clarity of your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's compelling. Lord, that it's true, that it changes our hearts and our minds. Father, and I pray that through this teaching this morning we'd be transformed. Father, I pray it would lead us to worship. I pray it would lead us to, um, Father, understanding you more, to growing in our faith, Father. I pray if there's someone here this morning that has never received that forgiveness, Lord, that they would repent from their sins and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I pray, Father, above all things, that your name would be glorified in all the earth. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a couple minutes. If you want to come and pray, if you want to repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to join this church. This is your time right now as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.